Dear Heavenly Father, help me, Father, to preach uh, clearly and faithfully from your word uh, and pray that, Father, we may listen to Jesus uh, as uh, you have sent him to us. And with all this, we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, last week, we uh, had our Chinese New Year holiday, and I hope that all of you uh, had a good rest uh, from your work or your studies. Uh, in fact, the celebration is still going on, isn't it? I'm sure you'll hear still many firecrackers at night in your house. Uh, when I was younger, uh, the thing that I looked forward to uh, during Chinese New Year uh, was receiving Ang Pao money. Oh, it's nice, isn't it, to have extra pocket money uh, during Chinese New Year. Uh, but, but now I'm married, I have to give Ang Pao money instead. Well, it's not that I mind doing that. I love that tradition. Uh, but just that it's not something that I really look forward to, to giving Ang Pao. Uh, instead, the thing that I, I enjoy more now as an adult uh, during Chinese New Year uh, was all the delicious food uh, that I can get to eat throughout the week. I know the roast duck, the roast pork, uh, the roast chicken, or all of the meat. Uh, no wonder I keep getting weight recently. Uh, talking about food, uh, today our passage is also about food, right, where Jesus provided miraculously uh, for thousands of people. Uh, but you see, the food that Jesus provided here uh, was not so much delicacies that satisfies uh, the desire of our tongue. Uh, but it was simple bread and fish that filled the hunger of the people. And as I'll show later, the point of this passage is not so much that Jesus will satisfy our cravings, but that he will provide sustenance of life for his own people. Uh, that he is the provider of life. And because of that, uh, we need to listen to him. Uh, and trust that what he has to offer to us uh, is truly what we need most. Uh, those few sentences that I just said uh, will be the main message of my sermon today, uh, and I'll gradually expand uh, these points. And so we start by looking uh, at the context of the passage. Uh, we read here in verse 1 uh, that Jesus traveled to the side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and a large crowd uh, was following him. Uh, why were there so many, more, so many people following him? Uh, it was because these people have seen miraculous healing done by Jesus. See, verse 2 says, because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. And because of that, these crowds followed Jesus all the way up to a mountain. Uh, and then, later on, Jesus asked the disciples, uh, where are we to buy bread for these many people? Well, in this passage, John didn't explain explicitly uh, why there's a need to provide food for them. Uh, but in the other three Gospels, uh, all the three Gospel writers where they record this same event, uh, all the three writers, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, they tell us that Jesus was teaching on the mountain, was teaching the crowd who followed him uh, until it was evening. He was teaching until it was too late, too late for them to go down the mountain uh, to find food before night comes. And so there's, a, there's an issue here. The issue is that they might have to stand, spend the night on the mountain without food at all. Uh, therefore, uh, Jesus asked Philip this question in verse 5. He says, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip answered Jesus in verse 7 that 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to just get a little bit of bread. If you look at the footnote, uh, one denarius is equal, is equal to one day worth of wages uh, during that time. And so 200 denarii will be about eight months worth of salary. And if you do the rough uh, calculation estimation, uh, it will probably be about 16,000 ringgit worth today 
And so Philip said, even 16,000 ringgit will not be enough to buy just a little bit of bread for each of them. And so this information that was given to us, uh, it was there to highlight uh, the enormity of the problem there, that it's simply impossible uh, to find that much food for them at that time. Uh, likewise, the same information functions to do that uh, when Andrew, the other disciples, come to Jesus and say, uh, here's a boy and he has five loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? Again, emphasize that there's really no food among them. And so, despite the impossibility of feeding so many people with so little food, uh, Jesus proceeded to ask the people to sit down on the grass. And then he took the loaves and the fish he gave thanks to God and then he started distributing the bread to, to the people one by one. We were told that there were 5,000 men and you have to add in uh, this man's wife and their children. Thousands of people. And amazingly, Jesus kept distributing and distributing and distributing and it just never ran out. Have you ever Im- imagined how actually it happened? What would it be like when you were there? I was thinking, if you want to visually imagine how it happened, just imagine Doraemon, you know, Doraemon, the, the blue robot, we have a pocket here, then you can keep taking things out, it never runs out, you can take a door out and a table out. <laughs> you know, it's something like that at that time. It's just that Doraemon is a fiction, uh, but here, that at that time, Jesus was performing a real miracle. Uh, it was truly a miraculous feeling, isn't it? Uh, but then we may wonder, uh, what is the significance of this miracle? You see, what happened here is that a group of people, they were following Jesus up to the mountain as their leader. They look up to him as their leader. And then when they're in a place, in a desolate place without food, Jesus provided for them, for their hunger, miraculously, out of nothing. Can you think of an Old Testament event that is similar to this? Right, Jessica said Exodus. Yes, uh, there's, when God, there's a time when God calls manna to rain down from heaven right, to provide food for the Israelites in the wilderness. At that time, God used Moses as their leader to rescue them out of slavery of Egypt. And then when they come into the wilderness, there was no food for them. And so they complained to God and say, God, why do you bring us out, out of the hand of Pharaoh and let us die of starvation here in the desert? So God heard their cry and he provided food for them in a miraculous way. See, he caused wafer like food to rain down from heaven. So that all they need to do was go and collect. And so during Moses' time, God showed, up, God showed them that just as he had powerfully rescued them out of Egypt, he will also powerfully sustain their life in the wilderness. They will not let them die of hunger. And so with that information from the Old Testament in mind, Going back to John chapter 6, uh, when Jesus miraculously provided bread for the people, uh, it should remind them of what God did for their ancestors through Moses. And we were indeed given this link that helped us make the connection. Notice in verse 13, when they had gathered up the leftover fragments, how many baskets were there? There were 12 baskets, and the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. See, just as Moses led the 12 tribes of Israel into the wilderness and feed them, so also Jesus fed his people and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. And indeed, the people who were there who received the bread at John chapter 6, they indeed recognized this connection. You read in verse 14, 
uh, when they saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Why did they say that? It's because the prophet they had in mind was the one prophesied by Moses. We read, we read earlier in our Old Testament reading in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, when Moses said that God will raise up a prophet just like him from among them. So the crowd saw Jesus as another great prophet figure like Moses. Uh, but the truth is that Jesus was, um, was at a much higher level than Moses himself. You see, Moses was merely the one who instructed the Israelites to collect the manna, whereas it was God himself in the Old Testament who caused the manna to rain down. On the other hand, Jesus himself did the miracle of multiplying the bread and fish out of nothing. Therefore, what it was right for the people to identify Jesus as the prophet that is to come, they must also realize that Jesus is more than just a prophet. Uh, he was God himself, the one who could do miraculous works that only God could, can do. Well, after hearing this miracle by Jesus, uh, what is your response? Uh, are you amazed by it? Uh, are you amazed simply by the fact that Jesus can multiply food as if he is just a wonderful magician? Uh, if you think that the point of this miracle is that Jesus had just performed a wonderful party, party trick to impress the crowd back then and to impress us, uh, I think you have missed the point totally. See, because the point of this miracle really is that Jesus is the wonderful provider. He provided food to fill their hunger. He provided food to sustain the life of the crowd. Even though Jesus only fed them once, uh, it was a sign to point to the fact that Jesus was just like the God in the Old Testament who provided manna for the Israelites for the whole 40 years, sustained their life in the wilderness throughout that time. Uh, and the crowd back in John chapter 6, they probably appreciated this provision of food by Jesus more than we do. See, because they went searching for Jesus for more food the following day. Uh, this we, say, we can see that in John chapter 6, verse 26. Uh, they went searching for Jesus uh, for more miraculous feeding of the food, even though what Jesus provided uh, was just plain bread and fish. Uh, by the way, when you see the fish here in John chapter 6, it's not the, you know, the baramandi or garuba fish that you, you, you eat in a restaurant. It's simply salted fish. Right? It's called ham yi by Cantonese. Right? It's dried fish that can be kept for weeks and travel around. You see, you probably won't go looking for someone walk for a few kilometers under the hot sun just for more plain bread and salted fish, won't you? Uh, so I'm thinking, probably if Jesus performed the miracle among us today, we might not appreciate the food that he provides. Let's just imagine, imagine that if Jesus were to multiply bread and fish for us here today, then we will say, huh? plain bread and salted fish only. Huh? Some more have to queue, huh? so many people. <laughs> Let's not wait, huh? Let's go over to the other side, the mama there, and get some mee goreng. Uh, faster and tastier. See, the fact is that we cannot easily appreciate the significance of Jesus' provision uh, because we are so blessed. See, we have so much to eat every day. We don't worry about having nothing to eat. Instead, we worry about overeating and gaining weight, like me. And we worry about whether we should eat tasty food or healthy food. And I'm guessing, on the other hand, uh, if this miracle of Jesus was being told to a Christian community, uh, in a third world country, to a Christian uh, who are in extreme poverty, 
then probably they will appreciate more. They will easily be more easily impacted by this God, by this Jesus, who will provide for them to feel their hunger so amazingly. What is my point? Uh, what I want to say is that we here today should appreciate more the fact that Jesus is our powerful God who provides for our daily provision of food. And we should be thankful and depending on this God for His wonderful provision. Uh, even though the food on our table is not obtained through miracle every day, but the fact still remains that you know, it's only by God's great kindness and great power in sustaining the whole universe that every single meal that we consume is available to us. And so this is the first message that I want to point out today from this passage, that we should be reminded again and that Jesus is the personal God who cares for our physical needs. And he, he has the power to care for us, and He has shown that to us so clearly. And so we ought to be thankful and dependent on God for that daily provision. Uh, and this should be the reason why as Christians we give thanks for our food every time we eat. We don't do it just for the sake of doing it. And that is the main point, first, first main point that I want to emphasize today. Uh, but of course, Jesus does not only provide us with physical life. Uh, to stop at here is to do serious injustice uh, to John chapter 6. Because here, in, here John, after showing that Jesus is the provider of physical life, he will later show us that more importantly, that Jesus is a provider of eternal life. And even here in this section, uh, we saw a glimpse, a hint of the eternal life that Jesus has come to provide. You see in verse 12, when Jesus asked the disciples to gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. See, the word lost here in Greek can also be translated as perish. It's the same Greek word in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Therefore, it could also be translated in Greek that Jesus was saying, gather up the leftovers, so that nothing may perish. And the leftovers came out to how many? To 12 baskets, representing the 12 tribes. And so what is the symbolism here? The symbolism is that Jesus has come to provide for all of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, so that all of them will not perish, but have eternal life. And later on, Jesus will tell the crowd in verses 22 to 59, they shouldn't just go searching for him for food that will perish. They should go to him for true bread that will last forever. However, as we'll also find out later from the conversation between Jesus and the people there, uh, the crowd simply could not understand what Jesus was saying about this true bread. Uh, they simply could not even believe his words. Uh, why was the case? Uh, to tell it in advance, uh, it was because they cannot see past their physical needs. It's because they cannot see past their desires in this current world. It was because the crowd kept thinking that Jesus was there to satisfy all their wants and needs in this current world. Therefore, they simply could not and do want to and not able to listen to the extraordinary truth that Jesus revealed to them. Uh, let me elaborate a bit more about what I've just said. Uh, earlier I said that the crowd indeed realized that Jesus was the great prophet that came after Moses. Uh, but what did they do right after that? 
See, we go to verse 15. It says here that Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. See, what the crowd was trying to do here was to force Jesus to be their political king. And they wanted Jesus to be their military leader in fighting against the Roman Empire. They want Jesus to lead them to establish a nation free from Rome again. Uh, were they right to do so? Well, maybe, maybe you think that it's entirely reasonable for them to assume so. Because just as Moses led them out of Egypt, so they also expect Jesus to lead them out of Rome. But the Bible tells us that what they did was so wrong. You see, if they were really following the prophecy and words of Moses, then they shouldn't simply assume that Jesus will come and do the same thing. Uh, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 uh, to read carefully the prophecy of Moses about the prophet that is to come. Let's go to page 192 uh, to read that prophecy again. Page 192. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. This is what the prophet Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And what did he say after that? He says, It is to him you shall listen. Again, God said to Moses in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. See, if the people really following the words of Moses, what should they do when they found the prophet whom Moses spoke about? They should listen to him, shouldn't they? But was that what they did? Did, they, did this crowd come to Jesus and say, we can see that indeed you are a great prophet, you have great authority. Please tell us what to do, and we'll follow you and obey your order as king. Is that what they do? No. Without even asking if Jesus had truly come to be the one to fight against the Roman Empire for them as a political king, they, they just assumed that and they attempted to forcefully make him a king like that to fight for them. Don't you find it ironic in this statement? They took him by force to make him a king. Who was in charge there? <laughs> Is it the king or those who use force on the king? See, you don't, force, you, don't use, you don't force your king to do something to you, isn't it? A true king is someone that you follow and submit to his orders. You see, the people didn't really pay attention to the words of Moses, nor any of the words in the scriptures that God had given to them. And they didn't really want to hear to Jesus, the one whom they recognized have authority. They wanted to force Jesus to be the political king. Why? Because that was what they wanted in their heart anyway. You see, these people, they have their own desire. They have their own agenda. And they brought it to Jesus and forced Jesus to fulfill the agenda for them. And because of their agenda, they had no capacity to listen to Jesus' words. They have no desire to listen to Him. Earlier in John, in chapter, in Gospel of John, if you flip back to John chapter 5, verse 46, 546, this is what Jesus says earlier. He says, if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See, it's happened exactly as Jesus said. And so, this is the second message that I want to bring up today. See, do you also bring your own agenda before God and as a result, 
fail to listen to what God has to say to you truly through Jesus? See, do you come to church acknowledging that Jesus is from God? Yes, you say that he has great power, but then you don't really want to hear about what Jesus has to say to you. All you want is for Jesus to, to fulfill for you what you desire. Probably the agenda that you had is also the same, political in nature as the Jews. Probably you also want Jesus to give you a clean and perfect government in this country. But perhaps your agenda is to have a fulfilling life, to have a successful career, to have a prosperous, well, healthy body, or even a satisfying relationship. And you come to God wanting Him to be your King so that He can do all these things for you. And this is a common mistake that people can have before God. And it's simply a dangerous and unwise thing to do. Uh, because if we do that, we're not able to listen to God, to listen to, to the thing that He said is the best for us, that He has come to give us. You see, God knows best what we truly need most. Even if what we think is sincerely is good for us, if it's different, it may not be the best for us. It may even be harmful for us. And so we need to listen to God, really. And if you are not able to listen properly, then we are in a danger of not receiving true blessing from God. And Jesus said plainly in the Gospel of John that true blessing can only come after your sin and your judgment of death has been dealt with. And he has said plainly that true blessing is ultimately in the future kingdom of God, not in this current world. And so if you want to truly understand the good news from Jesus and receive it, then what you need to do is to put aside your own agendas before him and let Jesus be the true king. Let him teach you and lead you. And that is the second point that I want to point out today. And now finally, let's look at the final few verses of our section today, uh, from verses 16 to 21. Uh, here the disciples of Jesus uh, got into the boat to row across the sea to Capernaum. And the sea became raft. And in the middle, uh, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and they were afraid. Again, do you see the Exodus imagery in this incident? See, just as Moses let the people walk on dry land across the Red Sea, in the same way, Jesus walked on the sea and brought the disciples safely across the sea. Notice in verse 21 that the moment the disciples received Jesus into the boat, immediately the boat reached the land to which they were going. Whereas previously the waves were rough and they were finding it hard to go. It was like another miracle that Jesus performed here. And again, Jesus was more than just a Moses figure because Moses walked on dry land only because God himself split the Red Sea with strong wind. But here, Jesus himself conquered the sea and simply walked on it. And if you remember the reading from Psalm 107 just now, uh, what is the attribute of the true God of Yahweh, the one in heaven? He is the God who has power over the sea. It says here, it says there in one, Psalm 107 verse 29, that he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were harsh. And so, this section once again reinforces the fact that Jesus indeed was the prophet, was the prophet that is to come after Moses, and that Jesus is God. But apart from reinforcing, reinforcing that, uh, is there another reason why uh, this section of incident is placed here? 
yes, I think there is another reason. See, earlier we saw that the crowd tried to make Jesus a political king. And then Jesus refused and withdrew, withdrew from them. And in most likelihood, uh, the disciples of Jesus, including the 12 apostles, they probably also could have misunderstood that Jesus was a political savior. And so when Jesus refused their request, the disciples might be perplexed by Jesus' refusal. The disciples might, might have started doubting whether Jesus was their true Messiah, or they might even doubt whether Jesus had power to truly save them. And so this display of great power over the sea was probably meant to give reassurance to the disciples and that when Jesus refused to be their political king, it was not because he had no power, but it was because he had come to do even greater things. That his power is much greater than just military strength, but he has power to rule even the whole natural realm. Even the sea is conquered by him, just like that. At the same time, this section also acts as a fit introduction uh, to the discourse of Jesus that come after this. Uh, where Jesus will give a very hard teaching to the crowd about how he is a true bread from heaven and how that he himself is a food that they have to consume to have life. Uh, it will indeed be hard to believe or even hard to understand teaching. Therefore, before that teaching comes, it was shown to us that this Jesus truly had power, power even over nature, so that we can be ready to accept the extraordinary claim that Jesus will make about himself. And so this section in the sea and the section previously about the feeding uh, set the scene uh, for the following discourse of Jesus. And so today as a summary, uh, we have seen in our passage today uh, that Jesus is the God who provided sustenance of life. Uh, he is the God who has dominion over the sea. And later on in the rest of John chapter 6, he will reveal that he has come to give us eternal life. Therefore, we need to listen properly to this Jesus, to what he has to say to us. Uh, we need to listen to all of his words and not just some of it, especially his words in the rest of John chapter 6 where we will spend the next two weeks on sermon on them. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to recognize that Jesus is indeed the prophet that you have sent to us, that we are to listen to him fully, so that we may come and understand and receive the true life that you have given to us. And Father, we give thanks, Father, for the daily provision of food. We give thanks, Father, for sustaining our physical body daily. And we give thanks most of all for the eternal life that we can have through the completed works of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all this we pray in his name. Amen.